The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We understand that um, we're here today because of it. Uh, We're not here today because we just decided church was a good idea. We're not here today because someone pulled us here. We're here today because your love brought us here. God, we understand that you're sovereign, you're in complete control. Um, And so, God, no one's here by accident. They're here because you drew them here. And so, God, as we open your word, we ask that it would accomplish what you'd want it to accomplish in us. For some, maybe today is the day that they trust you for the first time. Maybe it's the day that, as your word tells us, they step from death to life. For some, God... Maybe it's a day for us to, uh, to have a rough edge knocked off of us. Maybe it's a day for your word to speak directly to us in a special way and to change us forever. Regardless, God, today is a day that we can meet with you and we don't take that for granted. So Holy Spirit, would you just move among us, accomplish what you want to accomplish today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm. Uh, my name is Grant Nixon. It is a, a privilege and a pleasure to be back with you for another week. Um, and where we've been, where we're going to be for a while, is in the book of First Thessalonians. All right. And so we're we're talking about we're on the series Faith, Love, and Hope, uh, which are really some of the main themes of this book. But but this is a uh, uh, Paul's first letter. All right. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. This was his first shot at it, as far as as we understand. And so uh, he's writing a letter to this church, and and he's really he's commending them for their faith, for their for their uh, following Jesus, for how they've turned from so many things from the world and turned towards Jesus, but also he's giving instruction. And so as we've been in the first chapter, we've been seeing so many different things. We've seen the evidence of their election. We've seen what God has done in their lives that's shown that what they're, they're experiencing is a real thing. We've seen so many challenges from this church already, and we're going to continue to see that today. Um, and so as we, as we go through today, I want to talk about uh, this morning the gospel of joy. That's what I want to talk about this morning is the gospel of joy. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one. We're going to be in First Thessalonians. I've already said chapter 1. Uh, and so if you don't have a Bible, there's some under the chairs you can have. Uh, the little white Bibles, if you don't have one, you can take that with you. That's our gift to you, all right? First uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, just to start off, I want to start with a very imperfect analogy, all right? And that is products and byproducts, all right? A product is what? A product is the main uh, it is the main result in a process, all right? You want to produce this, and a byproduct uh, is a secondary result, all right? And some of you said, I thought that's what I did at the store. I buy product. All right, very good. You need to work on your English a little bit better. But a byproduct is a secondary result of a process. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Byproducts can be good or they can be bad. There's somebody that I know that in, he built this this amazing new house, and he has this lake in front of his house, and he has this like hydroelectric something or other under the lake, all right? Like he's basically a living Bond villain, if you will, okay? And so what this thing does under the water is it takes the, it takes the lake water as it comes out of the ground, and it comes out of the ground somewhere in the 50s, 51 degrees, 52 degrees, something like that, and it takes that and it spins it around these coils, right? And it uses that to, to cool down 
the air in his house. And so his, his electric bills, his heating bills are super, super low, all right? So it spins up around these coils and heats these, these coils really hot and, and all these other things. But basically the point is it uses this, this water, this cool water already to, to cool the air down in his house. Now, what happens as the water is it's cooling the air down, the water's heating up, all right? So it, it, it's getting hotter and hotter as it goes around this coil. So the byproduct, the main product of this, this super crazy uh, uh, thing under his lake uh, is that it cools his house down cheaper uh, and it heats his house cheaper, right? So that's the main product is to, is to cool the air down in his house. Now the byproduct is hot water, all right? So does he have to pay for hot water? No. It just, as he cools his house, his water heats up. That's a great byproduct, all right? Like, he is this amazing, he's created an island for himself, right? Where he's creating cool air and hot water. It's just like, like I said, he's a Bond villain, all right? So that is a byproduct of this system as it creates something good. Now, now there are other things. Sometimes byproducts aren't so good. Uh, I got this, uh, these rings right here that I wear on this hand. Uh, I do not, my wife does not have sister wives, uh, but what I do have are uh, the names of my children. Each one of these bands represents one of my children, and so I have three kids, and so it's got each one of their names on it. Now, I love these rings, and, and I love looking down and looking at their names, and it, it just reminds me of them, and, and when I'm away from them, it reminds me that someone else is changing their diapers, so there's much joy there. And so as I'm looking at these rings, I love these rings, and the main reason I have these rings, the main product that, of these rings, what these produce it produces joy in me. It produces happiness as I look at them. However, these rings are made of copper. And if you've ever worn copper, you know that a byproduct of copper is it turns your skin green. And so as I, as I wear these rings, it's a wonderful product is that I get to think about my kids and there's happiness there. But also, I slowly turn into the Hulk. The more that I wear these, the more my finger turns green. And you say, well, where are your muscles? And I tell you, shut up, all right? Don't be so rude. But... I understand this analogy isn't perfect, but I'd like to apply it to the gospel. And the main product of the gospel is life. The main product of you believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, of you surrendering to his lordship, accepting what he's done for you on the cross, the main product of that is life. You were dead, you were helpless, you were hopeless, you were separated from God. And the main thing that the gospel does is it brings you to life in himself. It brings you to himself. Now a byproduct, if you will, something second to your life is joy. The byproduct of the gospel in our life is joy. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The gospel in you is a work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit awakening you to the reality of who Jesus is. Uh, that is a work of the Holy Spirit, and so is joy. Joy absolutely is a gift of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and what? Joy. So joy is a unique gift of the Holy Spirit. It's unique. Now, the world can offer you all kinds of things. The world can offer you happiness. The world can offer you jubilation, excitement. The world can offer you merriment, bliss. The world can offer you all kinds of things like that. And one of the, one of the greatest examples of that, I think, is the Olympics, all right? When the Olympics come around, I never get more excited and happy to be an American than I do every four years, all right? Like, when it comes around, I'm super patriotic, and I'm so happy about the Olympics. I'm, I'm so happy that America can win gold and all these things. And at the same time of being happy, I, I really do kind of get 
I'm never more prejudiced than when the Olympics come around, right? I've never hated Russia more than when we're in the Olympics or I watch Rocky, all right? Like, I just really, like, I really, I, I was telling the students that if I was an Olympic athlete, I would be the worst Olympic athlete, number one, because I'm just not an athlete. But if I were an Olympic athlete, uh, there are 300 languages and dialects that are represented at the Olympics. I would learn yo mama jokes in 300 languages and dialects. And I, oh man, just Amer USA. That's how I'd walk around London. I would just, USA. Hey, you guys remember that little revolution? Yeah, you want another one? USA, right? I would just, I just, I love America and I get really excited. But you know when that's going to end? Today. The Olympics are ending today. The, the final ceremonies today. And so, you know, in a week, I won't care about Great Britain. I won't care what Russia's doing, right? Like, like, okay, yay, America, but I'm not going to walk around chanting USA like I have been. That happiness isn't going to last. A great example of that is Lolo Jones. Now, she's an Olympic athlete, and I think that her name was created for joy because try to say Lolo Jones and not smile. Try it right now. You can't do it. Lolo. That's a name. That's an adult. Lolo. All right. But she is a uh, she was the American who held the American record for indoor hurdles. All right. And so she goes to the Olympics. She's a heavy favor uh, favorite. Excuse me. However, does anyone know what she placed? Fourth. Do you know what medals they give out for fourth? They don't. I don't know. Copper. I don't know. They don't. All right. There is no fourth place medal. All right. So she missed. So there was all these, like, she was on every magazine. She was on, like, every TV show. And so when she thought about the Olympics, she was happy. When she was at the Olympics, she was happy. And then what? She lost. And all of a sudden, that happiness, that merriment, that jubilation, whatever you want to call it, it's gone. In fact, did anyone see her on the Today Show? Anyone see her on the Today Show? No? Okay. All right. Good. Uh, so on the Today Show, she broke down in tears and as well, she was talking about the Olympics. The Olympics now for her are a source of pain. What used to be happiness, it's not anymore. It's fleeting. It's, it's gone. And so the world can offer you that. The world absolutely can offer you a fleeting happiness. But what the Holy Spirit offers is a lasting, deep joy, a contentment that this world doesn't understand. That's what the Holy Spirit offers of, uh, us Excuse me, in the gospel. Now, uh, it, it shows up in surprising places. And we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at at where it's shown up for this church, for this early church. And we're going to see how it worked out in their lives and hopefully see how it can work out in ours. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. If you have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone, has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Uh, would you pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, this scripture is uh, it's, it's an amazing scripture. It's an amazing gift that you've given us. As we uh, begin to mine it um, for the wisdom and for the gold that you have in it for us, I pray that you, you bless us and, and be with us as we do that, as we, we do that this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, if there's anything that I've prepared to say or will say or try to say that 
that's not of you, God. I pray that, number one, you prevent me from doing so. But if I do, would you block it from their minds and from their hearts? Holy Spirit, only let them hear from you today. And the same for me. Holy Spirit, may this, this message, may this scripture work on me and change me and pull me in ways I haven't been before to be more like you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. All right, let's start in verse 6. Now, last week we covered the first part of verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, all right? And if you're like, what does that mean? Go get the CD from last week, all right? You can catch up. We're going to start here in the middle of verse 6. For you received the word in much affliction. Now, Acts chapter 17 gives us context for 1 Thessalonians, all right? What we see in Acts chapter 17 is there are a group of jealous Jews who are, who are, are, are rioting, really, uh, over this new message of the gospel. So they're immediately persecuting anyone uh, who wants to hear this message, and of course, persecuting those who are following Jesus. And so they were persecuted immediately. Now, I've experienced persecution, and probably most of you, if you're a follower of Jesus for any length of time, have probably experienced some form of persecution. Now, mine is different in two different ways than, than the way they experienced it. Number one, I don't think it's been as severe. All right. They had a mob of people coming after them. All right. They had a mob of people. So mine wasn't I don't I've never had a mob of people chasing me down. All right. Like I don't I don't know if that's going to happen one day. It probably will, but I, I don't know if that's ever gonna happen to me. But I've I've never had that. So it wasn't as severe, but also it wasn't immediate. It wasn't immediate. The first time you came to church, was there a mob of people outside telling you how stupid you were for walking in here? Anybody? We need to work on that. We'll get one of those. But we, we don't have that, all right? And I didn't have that. Now, that's immediately what they faced. Immediately even hearing the gospel, they were ridiculed for even wanting to hear it. Not just accepting it, not living like Jesus, but just wanting to hear about it. They were ridiculed, all right? So they were persecuted severely, and they were persecuted immediately. And yet, and yet, they accepted the word of the Lord. They accepted the truth of the gospel. They followed Jesus. I wonder how many of us, how our conversion stories would be different if that's what we face. I wonder how many of us, if, if maybe our faith would be even deeper, or I wonder how many of us would have walked away, right? They face immediate persecution, but it's a showing of the work of the Holy Spirit that, that they accepted that, that their faith was genuine, because in the middle of persecution, they said, yep, I believe that. Yes, I know this is going to be hard. Yes, I know I'm going against the flow here, but I believe that this is truth, and this is worth my life. They received it with joy. Look at the rest of that scripture. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. In the middle of threats, joy. In the middle of relationships tearing apart because of the gospel, joy. In the middle of their life being turned upside down because of the gospel, they experienced joy. So the first place we're going to see, a surprising place we're going to see joy is in affliction, in affliction. Now, the affliction here is persecution. Does this joy apply to a larger picture of affliction? Yes. But right now, for this purpose, for as the scripture was written, it's affliction, it's persecution. So there are so many promises of God that we claim, right? We claim the promises of comfort. He promises to comfort us? Yep. Put my name on that. There's promises of, of being filled with righteousness. I like that one. Where do I sign up? There's promises of mercy, of rewards, of friendship with God, of sonship, of rest. There's promises of, of always having our, our prayers answered, right? I'll sign up on all of those. Put Grant on all of those. Dibs, all right? That one dibs. Mercy dibs, right? I want those. But there's another promise in the Scripture for those who follow Jesus that we rarely want to put our names on. And it comes from 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus 
will suffer persecution. Persecution is a promise. It's not a, I hope it doesn't happen to me. It's a promise. Jesus said it in John 15, 20. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant's greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You will be mocked for Jesus. You will be overlooked for a promotion. You will be treated differently. You will be reduced to a religious extremist or an, a religious nut. Why? Why will we face persecution? Why, why if I want to live a godly life, what's the, what's the big deal? Why in the world will I have to face persecution for that? The scriptures are clear. Jesus said in John three twenty, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. What did Jesus say? We said it last week. What did Jesus make you? You're the what? You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You, you illuminate the darkness. You bring the truth of Christ, the goodness of Christ with you, and you illuminate the darkness. And what does it say? They hate the light. They hate the light. They don't want to see what's good. They don't want to see what's best for them. They don't want to see what's, what's a great and amazing thing in Jesus. And so if you're living that way, and it starts to, to come in conflict with the way that others want to live, with the way that the world wants to live, then what's going to happen? Conflict. Persecution, right? That's going to happen. It makes sense. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to bring the light into darkness where people hate the light, if you're the light, what are they going to do? They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you, right? That's persecution. Now, let's look at this word usage here. He says affliction. Now, the Greek for this is, the, is uh, thlipsis, which say that three times fast, which means persecution, affliction, distress, tribulation. Now, all of these imply that, that it's a force from the out, outside, all right? This is an outward force that's pushing on you, that's afflicting you, that's persecuting you, that's bringing you distress. It's all a picture of that. And maybe, maybe a simple way to, to put all four of these words together, maybe a simple way to wrap our heads around persecution and to ask you, have you been persecuted, is this. Since you followed Christ, have you been mistreated? Since you followed Christ. Now, real quick. I'm not asking you, have you suffered the wrath of somebody because you were a jerk, all right? I'm not asking you, like, sometimes people, like, bite your head off because you brought it on yourself. Sometimes it's just a consequence. Now, can there be joy there? Absolutely. As you go and seek the, the reconciliation with that person, as you go and honor God by making it right between them, there's joy to be found there. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what he's talking about here. Have you... Been since you've been following Christ, as a result of following Christ, have you been mistreated? Have you been mistreated? The scripture shows us that if you have, there's joy waiting for you. And you say, how in the world can there be joy waiting for me in the middle of tribulation, in the middle of persecution, in the middle of affliction, in the middle of distress? Well, what did the Thessalonians have? Maybe they didn't have the Bible like we have it. Well, I know they didn't. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they weren't looking at Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is giving us the Beatitudes and he gives a double blessing to those who are persecuted. He literally says blessed twice to those who are persecuted. Maybe they thought of that. Or maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't know that teaching of Jesus yet. What did they have? How in the world did they have joy in the middle of affliction? How in the world did they have joy in the middle of persecution? Because I tell you what, when I get persecuted in the middle of distress, in the middle of tribulation, my first thought is not, yay, 
right? Like that, that, that's not the first thing that comes to mind. My first thought is not like, I am just, this is a good day, right? Like that is not the first thing that comes to mind. What did they have? What's their secret? What did the Thessalonians have? And here we go. Here's what they had. The gospel. They had the gospel. That's all they had. They had the gospel. And so what's our key to, have, to having joy in the middle of affliction, in the middle of distress, in the middle of being mistreated? What is our, where is our joy? Remember the gospel. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Let me read this to you. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the gospel. We were lost. We were powerless. We were worthless. We were guilty. God sacrificed everything to give us life in himself for love. His love motivated God to do something that only God could do, which is to come and to rescue us, right? And this should fill us with immediate joy in the middle of affliction. And you say, why? Okay, that's great. Yeah, okay, Jesus died for me. Why does that make me feel better? Why does the gospel give me joy? And let me explain this. In the middle of tribulation, though everyone around you may say that you are hated, you know because of the gospel that you are loved. Romans 8, 37 through 39 no, in all these things were more than conquerors through him who, what, loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in the middle of tribulation, though others hate you, and though others say that you are hated, you know because of the gospel, what, that you are loved. In the middle of persecution... Though chaos might surround me because of the gospel, I know that he's more powerful and I know that he's in control. Romans 5, 6, we just read, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. What does that say? That God knows what he's doing. At just the right time, Christ died. While we were powerless, God was powerful, and Christ died for the ungodly. Though chaos may surround me, I know that he is more powerful, and I know that he's in control. Why? Because of the gospel. He was powerful, and he was in control. In the middle of distress, though no one will come to my aid, and I feel alone, I know that he sacrificed his son for me. I know that he'll be there for me because he gave his all for me. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I've understood the gospel differently as I've had children. As I've, as I've had a son, and now I have two sons and a daughter, and there is nothing in this world I would give for them. Nothing. Not a single thing. Especially not one of you. Not a single thing. And you say, whoa, how dare you? Nope. You guys aren't as good. They're awesome. Right? Like, they are just, they're awesome. And I love them. And I wouldn't give them for anything. But the Bible says here that I, am, I have so much value in God. God values me so much that he would give his son for me, his only son for me. So I know that when I'm in the middle of distress and I feel alone and no one will come to my aid, I know God will because I know God values me because God gave his son for me. So I, the gospel brings me joy. Also, in the middle of affliction, I know, uh, and, and though, though all I can see around me is sorrow and all I can see around me is sadness, I know that he can work all things together for my good. Why? 
because of the gospel. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. The joy of the Holy Spirit is present in the middle of persecution, in the middle of affliction, in the middle of you feeling abandoned, in the middle of you feeling like the world is against you. You can have the joy of the Holy Spirit as you remember what? Remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Remember your value in Christ. Remember what He's done for you and continues to do for you. Remember the gospel. As a, third, uh, as, as a third century man was anticipating death, he penned these last words to a friend. He said this, It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who've learned a great secret. They found a joy which, a thousand, which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They're despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I and one of them. There's joy and affliction because of the gospel. So many times we talk about preach the gospel, tell others the gospel. If you want joy and affliction, preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the love of Christ for you to yourself. Remember the gospel. Let's keep going. Look at verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. All right, so for they themselves, these are the Greeks that they've been witnesses to back in verse 8. All right, so they themselves, those that you are witnesses to, they report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. So they're reporting how genuinely they received Paul and the message of his gospel. They're saying, yeah, they received those guys and they really believe what those guys said. All right, so they're again, they're, they're testifying to the genuineness of the conversion of uh, those in, in Thessalonica. And let's keep going. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So there's joy and affliction, but there's also joy in true worship. This scripture here is talking about idolatry. And what is idolatry? Where, where does it come from? Well, we are creatures of worship. We are created to worship. Whether you believe it or not, whether you think it or not, you are worshiping. Worshiping is not just singing. And praise God, it's not just singing, because I've heard some of you sing, right? Worshiping is not just singing. It's it's living. That is worship. It's living. Let me, let me say it like this. Everything in this life, everything we experience in this life, see it as a tool for you to use, all right? And whatever you serve with these tools that God has given you, your job, your, your relationships, your talents, your gifts, whatever it is, your money, whatever God's given you, these are all tools. And whatever they serve, that is what you worship. That is what you worship. How you live, that's what you worship. So, for example, money is a tool. What does it serve? How do you use it? What does it serve in your life? That's what you're worshiping with your money. Relationships are tools. What do they serve? What, what is the main point behind them? What's your motivation? Is it you? Is it God? What is it? That's what you worship. Your health is a tool. What do you serve with your health? What do you serve with it? Is it yourself? Is it others? Is it God? That's what you worship. Your talents are tools. What do they serve? And so when you use these things to serve anything other than the Creator, to, to serve the created other than the Creator, that is idolatry. That is false worship. St. Augustine put it this way. Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that is meant to be Worship. So why idolatry? Why, why are we naturally idolaters? Now, I'm not saying that you go home and you have like a golden statue in your closet, or, you know, like, like from Indiana Jones or anything like that. I'm not saying that you go home and you're like, all right, kids, before we eat, 
you know, we got to go pray to the rooster statue, right? Like, I'm not saying that that's what you do. If you do that, I'd love to talk to you because something's wrong with you, all right? Like, that's fascinating. Something is wrong with you. But anyway, I'm not saying that type of idolatry, but, but what is, why are we idolaters? I believe it's because this idolatry is simply a search. That's what idolatry is. We're all searching, and idolatry is a search. It's a search for meaning. It's a search for satisfaction, and it's a search for salvation. And let me explain. Idolatry is a search for meaning. Plato defined man as this, a being in search of meaning. We're looking for validation, and we're looking for value constantly. That's what we're doing. We're constantly looking for validation. We're constantly looking for value in our lives. And so we're looking for that value in possessing something, If I have this, if I have this thing, I will be validated. If I have this, I will have value. Our relationship to others, maybe our status in life will give us value. If I have this job, right, then I will have value. If I'm a father, that'll give me value. If I'm a mother, then that will give me value. Sometimes it's even an accomplishment. If I can set this goal and meet this goal, I will have value. But all of that is empty. And ultimately what we're doing is we start serving a tool. We start serving our status or our possession or our accomplishments just because we are looking for our value there. The second way that we use idolatry is in satisfaction. We want to feel a certain way. And in reality, it's a search for peace. That's what people are looking for when they talk about, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no peace, all right? Not as good of a song, but I can't get no peace, right? That's what they're looking for is they're looking for peace. I want to feel a certain way. And this search for satisfaction outside of Jesus is just a hopeless cycle. It's a hopeless cycle of going to this tool, to this tool, to this tool. I'm going to use this and hopefully I'll find peace. I'm going to use this and hopefully I'll find peace. But the reality is there is no peace outside of Jesus. And that's another form of idolatry. We start looking for peace in, in certain things that are supposed to point us back to Jesus. The third way that people are idolaters, they look for salvation. Looking for salvation is not a bad thing. Hopefully that's one of the main reasons you came to church, was you were looking for salvation. Hopefully that's one of the main things that drew you to Christ. You were looking for salvation, but we commit idolatry in our search for salvation when we look to anyone or anything other than Jesus for the favor and forgiveness of God. That's when we find idolatry, when we look to anything else, anyone or anything for the favor or forgiveness of God outside of Jesus. And the result is a self-salvation or a moralism. If I work hard enough, I'll earn his favor. If I'm good enough, God will love me. If I'm good enough, God will be satisfied with me. If I'm moral enough, then I will be saved. Sometimes, and probably more often than not, we use godly things in our search for self-salvation. We take good things and we make them idols, right? And In other words, we, maybe we keep nine out of the Ten Commandments and we break the first one, right? We start saying that if I can do all these things right, then I will be saved. Then I'll be good enough to be saved. And you're not resting in Jesus. You're not resting in His love and His favor. Instead, you're trying to create it, right? And that's idolatry. Martin Luther said it better than I could. He said, all those who do not at all times trust God and trust in His favor, grace, and goodwill, but seek His favor in other things or in themselves, Do not keep the first commandment and practice real idolatry, even if they were to do the works of all the other commandments combined. 
And as this commandment is the very first, highest, and best, from which all the others proceed, in which they exist, and by which they are measured and directed, so also its work, that is, the faith or confidence in God's favor at all times, is the very first, highest, and best, from which all others must proceed, exist, remain, be directed, and measured. Luther says that if we obey God's law without a belief that we are already accepted and loved in Christ, then in all our good deeds, we're really looking to something more than Jesus to be the real source of our meaning and happiness. We commit adultery when we seek the favor and forgiveness of God outside of Jesus. So practically speaking, maybe you trust your good parenting. Maybe you trust because you're a good neighbor. Maybe you trust your church attendance or your Bible reading more than trusting Jesus alone for your salvation and for your satisfaction. So what's the answer to idolatry? What's the answer here? Where is the joy? I've already said it once and I'm going to say it again. So spoiler alert, here we go. The gospel. The gospel is the key to the joy and true worship. It's the key to being released from idolatry. Instead of searching for meaning in the gospel, you know that you have meaning. You are a child of God, Galatians 3.26. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. Not, not just searching for satisfaction and for peace, but you can be satisfied. You can have peace in Jesus. He's the bread of life, John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Not are you looking for salvation or working hard to gain salvation. You have been saved. Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. If you are suffering from idolatry, if you're suffering looking for meaning, value, if you're searching to be validated, if you're, if you're searching uh, uh, for purpose, if you're searching for salvation, stop, stop, preach the gospel to yourself. You have value in Christ. You can be satisfied in Christ. You've been saved. You have the favor of God in Christ. Preach the gospel to yourself. There's joy in affliction. There's joy in true worship. And lastly, there's joy in waiting. Look at verse 10. And to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. I hate waiting. I hate it. I hate it so much. And from a, as a little kid, I hated waiting, right? Christmas Eve was, the, was a sleepless night for me, all right? That week leading up to Christmas, I was Sherlock Holmes, right? Like, I was like, you know what? That cabinet door looks awry. My parents are probably hiding gifts in there. Like, I was just searching. I didn't want to wait. I can't tell you how much money I've spent in gas driving all over Memphis trying to find something in a store that I easily could have bought online with free shipping, right? But why? I don't want to wait. I want it now, right? Well, it's more expensive in the store. Yeah, I don't care. Buy it. I'll take two, right? Like, I want it, and I want it now, right? I hate the waiting. And waiting for me usually equals frustration. However, in this case, the waiting equals joy because there's hope in our waiting. There's hope in our waiting on the return of Jesus. There's hope because, number one, we know that He, uh, he will make things right. We know that when He comes, He will make things right. Revelations 21.4 says that he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I don't get worried or hopeless in my waiting. 
Because when I look at this world and I say, you know, this world is a tough place and it's only getting tougher. I have joy in my waiting because I know that God will set things right and he'll set them right at just the right time. In his timing, he will come and set things right. So there's joy as I wait on the Lord Jesus. There's joy because I know that he will come back for me, whether in death or in life. Every breath I breathe is a breath closer to him. Listen to what Jesus says to you in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Listen, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I understand that God has not forgotten me. I understand that God has not left me here on this planet, and he's like, oh yeah, i got to go pick up Grant at 3.30, right? I know that he's preparing a place for me, and when it's time for me to be there with him, I will be there with him. There's joy as I wait, as God prepares a place for me. Thirdly, we know that there's nothing to fear. Look at verse 10. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I used to get really nervous thinking about Jesus coming back for me. I used to get really nervous about thinking about standing before God. And I used to think, I, uh, me? Like me? I know me. I know this. I know my heart. I know how sinful it is. I, I know how messed up I am. I, in fact, I don't know my heart, to be quite honest. I don't know the depths of its depravity, all right? I'm surprised at how wretched it is at times, all right? And you want me to stand before God? Here's what I know in all of my waiting. I know that when Jesus comes back for me, I know that when I stand before God, there is nothing to fear because he's delivered me from the wrath to come. I know that when I stand before God, I was wrong about standing before him. In the past, I used to picture myself standing there alone before him. I was wrong. I won't be standing alone. Jesus will be standing with me. Instead, I won't stand there and say, yeah, God, here's my righteousness. How about it? Instead, Jesus will say, here's my righteousness, and it's good enough for him. He's covered by it. I won't stand alone. The wrath to come has been taken by Jesus for me. And lastly, there's joy in my waiting because I know that there's work to be done in my waiting. Look at verse 10. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. His wrath is coming. His wrath is coming because he's just. And sin must be punished. It must be paid for. And those not found in Jesus, those who don't find them, their, themselves in Jesus, who haven't surrendered to Jesus, the wrath is coming for them. And we need to understand that there's work to be done. There's work to be done. The gospel needs to be spread. We aren't simply sitting here twirling our thumbs. We're not sitting here just wasting our time on this planet, waiting for Jesus to come back. Instead, God has given us work to do. And it's the most amazing work. It's the greatest work we could ever have, and that's to spread the gospel, to spread the good news of Jesus. Look here in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance every single day you wake up should be an, another day that there's joy as we wait for jesus to return because what he's done is he's given another day for repentance he's given another day for us to go out and bring the good news of jesus to others he's given another day for some sinner to pass from death to life 
There should be joy in us. God, you're gracious. You've given us another day. God, you're gracious. You're, you're not slow in your return. You're gracious and you're kind. You see someone that today will step from death to life, and you're giving them that day for that to happen. You're gracious and you're kind. There should be joy there in our waiting, that there's work to be done. So we see the gospel brings true joy. There's joy in our affliction. There's joy in true worship. And lastly, there's joy in our waiting. We're about to take the Lord's Supper together, and Matt's going to come up and, and play some music for us while we do that, and it's going to be a wonderful time for us to reflect on the Lord Jesus. But Christians in this room, I, I hope that as we conclude this first chapter of First Thessalonians, some of you, I hope that, um, that you found joy today. For some of you, maybe you, you realize that you need to start preaching the gospel to yourself. Maybe some of you realize that um, in the middle of your afflictions, in the middle of your persecution, the gospel's still true. It's still true about you. You still have value. Some of you, maybe uh, in this room, you've been searching for your value, maybe your validation uh, from somewhere else, maybe from a job, maybe from a person, maybe a relationship, maybe a situation, maybe an accomplishment, but you understand that you're all, you already have value in what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. He gives you value. Maybe you've been looking for satisfaction somewhere else. You understand that the only true and lasting satisfaction is Jesus himself. So maybe some of you today need to rest. Maybe you need to preach the gospel to yourself and rest and understand that that's true. And maybe some of us, we've been, tw we've been just twirling our thumbs and we haven't found the joy in the work that's left to be done. We haven't found the joy that, you know what, God's preparing a place for me and every day that I breathe is another opportunity to do His work, to do the best work, to do the work that's above all other work, which is to proclaim what He's done on the cross to other people people and so today christians maybe it's time to preach the gospel to yourself and for everyone else maybe some of you out there you don't know that joy i'm talking about maybe you don't know you don't know that joy that lasts through persecution maybe you don't know that joy in waiting maybe you don't know that that joy that that causes us to find our satisfaction only in christ my prayer today is that you find it my prayer today is that you surrender to christ for the first time my prayer today is that you find your meaning in him and not anywhere else as you surrender to him. Let me uh, pray for us real quick. And then uh, uh, those of you who are serving communion, I'll call you forward. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for letting us be here today. God, thank you um, for this first chapter to the Thessalonians. God, I don't, I don't know how it's challenged everyone in this room. I, I trust it's challenged them. I trust that your word um, has done its work. Um, God, as we've looked at the joy that comes from the gospel and affliction and, and in true worship as, as our worship's directed back to you and off of ourselves and off of created things. As we find our joy in doing your work, God, I, pr I pray that, um, that that would be true of us. I pray that we would be a people of joy. That we'd be a people that not only talked about the gospel, but we believed it and we lived it. We lived it out. So God, uh, would you use that message today, use that word of yours um, to accomplish what it needs to accomplish, comfort, brokenness, whatever it is. Accomplish what you want to accomplish today. For those that don't know your love, don't know satisfaction, don't know their value in you, today may they find it. May they know that the work you did for them on the cross and being raised from the dead and offering them new life 
offering them a new way to live. It's truly better. It will give them satisfaction. It will validate them. It will bring them joy. So God, would you speak that to whoever needs to hear that today? But we love you. And we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are serving communion, I'll ask you to come forward. Um, let me explain what we're about to do. Um, we're about to, uh, to take communion together, and this is not an empty ritual we do. Um, instead, this is, a, uh, uh, this is a time for us to remember Christ and what, what He's done for us. Um, this is a time for us to, uh, uh, to reflect on what He's done for us, to rejoice in what He's done for us. It's a time for us to preach the gospel to ourselves. How about that? And let me, let me read a scripture to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about what we do. In verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Remembrance, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this is a time for us to do that, to reflect on his sacrifice for us. However, we don't do this lightly. This is not just a ritual. It's not just something we do because, well, we do it every month. It's a serious, wonderful gift from the Lord Jesus himself. He instituted this. And so as we do it, before we, we call you forward, I ask you to reflect and reflect on your own heart. And I continue to read in Corinthians, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. So take this time to, to lay your heart out before the Lord. Ask Him to examine it. And if there's rebellion in you, ask forgiveness. If there's sin in you, ask for restoration. Ask that you would be made clean before Him, before we come and remember what He's done for us. Remember His body broken, His blood spilled. So we're going to give you a moment to do that before we call you forward. Let me explain. When you call forward, you'll be dismissed by Roe. Come forward, take the bread, dip it in the juice, and then eat it and return to your seat. But let's pray, let's reflect. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross. Because of the culture we live in, unfortunately, we're all guilty of reducing it to an icon, reducing it to something else instead of reflecting on it and seeing that because of your cross because of your power because of your love your humility by going to the cross and because of your power being raised from the dead three days later we have life because your body is broken and your blood was spilled we have hope we have joy we have meaning we have purpose we have satisfaction in you so God, thank you for that. Help us examine our hearts. Help us take this in a worthy manner, honoring you. Be lifted up. This is a time to worship you. Be lifted up.
We love you. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.